Well, thank you for that introduction. <clears throat> I wanted to just tell you a little bit about what I do. I'm at the New Hope Church, and I do family ministries and children's ministries. And uh, I love what I do. I've done it for over 30 years, and I'm still doing that. <clears throat> but one of the things that for me is is so important is this idea of doing visitation, right? And I say idea because for some it's like, oh, I don't know about it. But what we're going to do is we're going to tell you a lot of stuff that you already know. We know you know it. But then we are also hoping that we can give you some fresh ideas, some creative ideas to help you along the way. So we're going to tell you about what visitation is, where it starts, uh, what, why, where, how often. And then we're also going to give you an opportunity to ask questions as well. So we begin first with what is a visit? What is visitation? And why do we call it this? It just seems kind of like this old term over here, visitation. You see it in the Bible when the angel comes to Mary, right? Visitation. She said, should it be scary? You know, the angel will say, do not be afraid. <laughs> the pastor's coming. Do not be afraid. No, it's not like that. It's just a term we use. Really, visitation is a point of contact, right? Contacting and bonding with someone. And hopefully, that visitation time becomes a time where you are building relationships with people. And in order to build relationships and to get bonding to happen, it should be more than once, right? There's got to be some kind of frequency to it so that you are uh, bonding in some degree. Also, um, one of the good things about paying a visit with your people, the people that you serve, is to get a pulse of what is happening. What is the... What is happening around the community? What is happening among the families? This is how you get a sense of the heartbeat of what is happening in your congregation. If you feel sometimes you're preaching and you're not connecting, one of the reasons might be is because you're not connecting with your people. And I'm not saying go and visit so you find sermon material. I am not talking about that. You never want to use other people's problems as illustrations, of course. But what it does is helps you meet the needs. If something is happening around your community, that is a big deal. Some major thing happened or some crisis or something. You talk to that because people are concerned about those things. So you get an idea of the heartbeat of what is going on and it helps you then meet the needs of the people and what's happening around you and your community. Also, it's about experiencing a spiritual moment with the families whom you're serving, right? Um, you don't want, just want it to be just hanging out, whatever, right? You're, you're there for a purpose, and that is what's going on with you. You know, what, what, what do you need? How, how is your relationship with Jesus? How can I help you in that journey, right? So you're there to kind of help them connect with God. And of course, you want them to connect with the church. Are they receiving maybe, based on what you do in your church, your 
e-news, or maybe you want to receive some feedback about things that are happening. Um, I don't know about you, but in our church, I have a couple of people that are my, kind of like my ears and eyes, and I always go to them, what are you hearing? What are you listening? What, 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 what are you seeing? What, what is happening? Because oftentimes, some people don't like to go to the pastor directly. They just kind of go around, right? And then you hear all this stuff, and you're like, ah, uh, okay. So it's good to have these kinds of things, and then you can kind of address the needs. And um, you might also find opportunities for volunteering, right? You might invite someone to join you for something. I am a believer of doing the personal invitation for someone to be recruited to do something. Announcements up front, I just don't think work very well. So if I want somebody to do something, I'm going to invest my time, connect, bond with them so I can find out what their gifted, giftedness, giftedness is and then invite them to come and serve in a specific position or need that we might have. Also, you can receive feedback from people. And ultimately, you want to pray for them, right? Praying for their needs. So these are very basic things uh, in visitation. So we understand that visitation is an important element for pastoral care. It's the basic, one of the basic things that we do. But we know now that families don't want you in their home, right? <laughs> Many of them don't want you to come. It used to be that people kind of expected the pastor to come, but not anymore. In fact, you call them and they're like, uh, why do you want to come? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> they, don't, they don't trust. They don't, they don't want you there. So how can you do this, especially now after this pandemic? After everything that has changed so much, we know that things have to be a little different. So how do you make it a meaningful experience and where, where you can make it happen so it's, it makes a difference for the people and for you? It's beneficial both ways. So we're going to look at some of the trends, some creative ideas, some of the traditional things, but also to give you some ideas, some things to think about. And we're also going to ask you to ask some questions as well. So we'll do that at the end. So I'm going to pass, hand it off to Freddie now. And he can tell us some very interesting statistics. Thank you. Good afternoon. First of all, I just want to say that me being here is answer prayers. I was stranded in Philadelphia last night. And they were going to send me through Boston. I was not going to make it. And the Lord answered the prayers, so thank you for those who were praying. Um, what we want to do with you today, we just want to talk heart-to-heart uh, -heart conversation and things that have really made an impact in our lives. Um, so the, the, the first thing that I want to, I want to share with you, um, God gave us the opportunity to do our doctoral studies on pastor kids. So um, my study was specifically about pastor kids and their relation with their, their parents. So um, we prepared, um, it, was a, it was a qualitative study where I interviewed 12 pastor kids that were adults already that wouldn't have any problem sharing everything that they that went through in their lives. And the purpose for my study was to determine why some pastor kids leave the church and why 
Some stay. Unfortunately, we have to say some. Most of my friends that I grew up with, I am a PK, uh, are not in church right now. So that was my original uh, uh, um, purpose, why some leave and why some stay. But as I interviewed them, I, I found that there were four categories of PKs. Number one, the ones that I want to call the Daniels, the Esthers, the ones that we need to talk more and exalt more. You know, I, I don't like it when we go to these youth events and we bring someone who tried everything in the world and spent one hour talking about all the bad things that they did. And then at the end, in two minutes, and I, I found Jesus. No, talk to me about Jesus. You don't have to talk about. And then you see some of the youth like, really? They, he did? Oh, man, you know, it's, it's not. It's counterproductive. So uh, the, the, the first um, group was those who have never left church who have always been committed to the Lord. And guess what? Those kids, without exception, had a very good and open relationship with their parents. Their parents lived a transparent and balanced life. Then we have the group of those who left church and haven't come back. In this particular group, I handpicked them because they are very close friends of mine. And one of the things that they said was, I didn't have a very good connection with my father. They spent most of the time with their mom. Family worship, the mom. The father was always traveling. And they didn't have that connection with the father. I have a, a friend of mine who is a pastor now. His older brother, um, still not in church. And um, my friend, as I was interviewing with him, he told me, Freddie, some kids have the tragedy of not having a father at home, but some of us had the tragedy of having one at home. His father was uh, emotionally and uh, mentally absent from the home. And his older brother has that, his older brother says, I don't have a problem with God. I have a problem with my father. Um, so that's the second group, those who haven't come back. Then we have a third group of the prodigals that left and came back, right? But then we have the fourth group, and we can find all of these four groups in Luke 15, in the, in the parable of Jesus, the lost. And it is, I call it the lost coin. Those who are in church have never left church, but have done as many bad things as those who left officially. But they're just too afraid of leaving because they think that is, as long as they stay, their membership stays in, in church, they are saved. But they're still away from God. So they are lost and they don't know it. So what I want to share with you is that visitation starts at home. Um, visitation starts uh, with Jesus' command in, in John 21. Now, we usually talk about, you know, Peter, do you love me, right? And we know we have heard so many sermons about it. But do you know that before Jesus told Peter, do you love me? The first thing that Jesus tells them after the miracle happens, he tells them, my children, come here and have breakfast with me. So, dear pastors, I want to invite you today. We need to have breakfast with Jesus every morning, every day. If we don't do that, nothing else makes make sense. So our first visit has to be with Jesus every morning. The breakfast that I had yesterday is not good enough for today. I need a, I'm a breakfast person. 
you know, I enjoy all type of international food. And uh, having breakfast with Jesus every day makes a difference. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't done before for us. So he said, come here, let's have breakfast together. And after he had breakfast for them and lovingly gave that miraculous sign, then Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? And he says, the first thing that Jesus says was, feed my lambs. Who was Jesus referring to? Our children. I have a confession to make. I don't want to make it to heaven if my kids are not there. What do I do preaching and baptizing so many youth and young adults all over if my children don't get there? So I said, Lord, please, whatever, whatever it takes. But I want to be there with my whole family. And I have two boys. I have uh, my older one. He's 15. My younger one is 11. And they have two different personalities. And I've learned that because of their age, I need to spend quality time with both of them. We love to play soccer together and, and we cycle together when we can. My older one now is into running. He wants to run a marathon. Pray for me because he wants me to run with him. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that is quality time. Those hours are priceless. And I have to make sure that I need to spend time with them both separately because I need to talk to them about different issues in life. And I need to be as blunt and go into details with my 15-year-old about the things that I used to do when I was 15. And thank God he hasn't done. But then with my 11-year-old, I also need to connect with him in a different level. They both need separate time. Feed my lambs. Then it says, tend my sheep. And I think this is where visitation is. Tending my sheep. Why do we have to tend the sheep? Because if we tend the sheep, then we will know what to feed them with and how to feed them. So it is very important that we follow the steps that Jesus himself gave us. So that is why we do visitation, because Jesus is calling us. And visitation for me is just a shepherd's opportunity. Um, the, I want to talk to you now why it's so important to visit. So I'm going to share with you briefly the, the challenge of a pastor. I, I'm sure that you know all, but I found some statistics that I think were worth sharing with you. Um, listen to this. Time with family rates as a priority for many pastors, but some find alarmingly little opportunity to be with their spouses and children. I'm talking about being intentional. If you want at the end, you don't have to worry about pictures. Uh, send me your email and I'll give you the seminar so you can have the PowerPoint presentation, okay? It's available to all of you, but you're welcome to take pictures. I'll give you the whole thing. While 30% of the pastors report spending 20 to 29 hours with their families each week, and 16% indicate spending 40 or more hours with them weekly. Almost 10% say they spend nine hours a week or less with family members. At the same time, 24% say they catch 10 to 14 hours of television watch each week. And 13% put their TV time at 15 hours or more. Just because you sit to watch a movie with them, that doesn't mean that you're spending quality time with them unless afterwards you talk about it. So my kids, because of their, you know, nowadays they don't have that much of uh, attention spam, 
What we do, we play games and we put the movie, but we're also playing uh, games with them. Our favorite game, it's a, a math game, it's called Rumicube. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a lot of fun. So we love to, to play with them, keep them away from electronic devices and video games, Lord. Anyways, that's a whole other seminar. <laughs> Listen to this one. The amount of time spent in prayer and personal devotions raises questions about the vitality of many pastors' spiritual lives. While 52% report spending one to six hours in prayer each week, 5% say they spend no time at all in personal prayer. Furthermore, while 52% say they spend two to five hours a week in personal devotions unrelated to teaching preparation, 14% indicate they spend an hour or less in personal devotions each week. While the priorities are right, they may need better protection. McConnell continued, and this is study I'll give you at, at the end, um, who did the study. The total hours pastors work in addition to these biblical priorities shows that more of the other ministry tasks need to be shared. Jesus Christ designed the work of the church to be done by believers together in unity. So as pastors, we're not just responsible for visiting, but teaching our leaders how to do visitation. And that's, that biblical principle happened with Jethro. Remember when he told Moses, hey, you can't, do, you can't visit everybody. You have to get people that will do the work for you. So a good leader will prepare and train their leaders to do that. So this is a LifeWay research conducted in uh, the month of October two, 2008. Um, so this is... Uh, where, where this research was. So this is my family. This is uh, my wife, Ruby, my boys. And like I told you, we had planned this whole week different, but you know the saying, if you want to make uh, God laugh, tell him about your plans. So they're all down with COVID right now. So I had to, I haven't been with them for two weeks, just in case, okay? I had to isolate myself so they could have the house for themselves. So, um, you know, and, and, and this is really, you know, my passion for ministry starts right there with them. You know, my kids already know who I am, and I cannot pretend to be with them what, and, and just preach or do something else. So uh, back in 2019, I had a car accident. I was coming back from a camp meeting, and uh, a young kid, 22-year-old, hit me on the side. I hit two trees front to front, and uh, when I came out of the car, uh, that's what the car looked like. Um, so I was, as you see, the, the, the driver's door is all the way on the passenger seat. So I was seated somewhere in there. So when we talk about visitation, this really changed my priority. At, the, at, at that time, I was serving as the youth director for Florida Conference for the South area. And, and after this, my priorities changed because I realized that I was spending too much time away from home. And God had a very interesting way of telling me, it's time for you just to, to be in a local church. I'm like, oh, Lord, you could have told me that. I didn't have to go through this. <laughs> but um, when we talk about visitation, and, and Marilyn was sharing, you know, how the angel visited with Mary. I truly believe that I had an angel encounter on that day because I don't know how I got out of the car. I, all I know is standing next to the car and a big, tall gentleman coming and telling me, son, you have been in a very serious accident. I need you to walk together with me. And he carried me on, and he took me to the side of the road. He said, 
I am a doctor, I work nearby. So I'm gonna lay you down and I'm gonna hold your neck until assistance comes. So I had a friend of mine who worked at the area and he was able to come uh, to take all the pictures because you know once you know I was in my shock and pain I was like insurance insurance so I called my friend he came he took all of those pictures that you see in there and then after it's interesting because my friend who is a cyclist I love uh, cycling and um, he told he told me that he doesn't believe in God and the reason why he doesn't believe in God is because his mother-in-law which is a Christian very radical Christian just has been a very bad testimony to him. So I said, I don't think that you don't believe in God. I, I just think that you are mad at God because you had a bad experience with one of his children. So he came and when he saw the car, he looks at me and he's like, Freddie, oh my God. And I'm like, you have said it. So, <laughs> so when you do visitation, you will, fr you will find friends. And you know what? I make it intentionally to have friends that have zero connections with church. So that I don't have an agenda of just having to baptize them, just making friends and making the connections. Because it is not my role to change their hearts. It is the Holy Spirit. My only role is to show them and point them to Jesus. So after, after the accident, I told he came home to visit with me. And I told him, Willie, did you take pictures of the doctor that was holding my neck when the paramedics came and he's like, Freddie, what doctor? There was no doctor, you were there by yourself. And I'm like, I couldn't walk. So I just think Psalms 34 seven happened to me. When was the last time that you were visited by Jesus? I promise you, it will change your life. Even if it hurts, it's worth it. So after that accident, and yeah, you can see when my wife came to the scene with my dad and my brother who were in town, and they saw that, you can imagine. I had called her. I said, baby, I was in a little fender bender. Um, <laughs> they just want to take me to the hospital. I don't know why. But when they came to the scene, they had already taken me to a trauma center. And, you know, you can imagine. So that changed a lot of things. But the lesson that I learned, and I'm writing a book that I hope to finish one day, Life is not an accident. It is an opportunity. You are not an accident. You are God's most beautiful opportunity to change the world around you. So after that, I, I made an intentional. I need to spend time with my wife because my wife came first. After came the boys. And guess what? One day the boys are going to leave us. And it's just going to be the two of us. So we better spend quality, intentional time together. So one of the challenges, look, another uh, study, a research study among pastors' wives revealed that 88% has experienced depression at some point in their ministry life. Eight out of ten share they don't feel appreciated by their spouse's congregations. I, don't, I know that doesn't happen here. They also wish their spouses could find a different job instead of pastoral ministry. That is very sad, but it's reality. I found this in Time Magazine in the business section, an ad. It says, help wanted, pastor's wife, must sing, play music, lead youth groups, raise seraphic children, entertain church notables, minister to other wives, have ability to recite Bible backward and choreograph Christmas pageant, must keep pastors satisfied, peaceful, and out of trouble, difficult colleagues, demanding customers, erratic hours, pay zero. Um, 
we need to be intentional about the time that we spend each other helping each other. Not so much about complaining about what they did to us, but how can we grow in Christ together so that we can continue with the calling that Jesus has given us. Again, I'm going to give you the presentation at the end. If you email me, I will send you the, the email. And we'll probably just do it right here or my ADD will make me forget. Challenge of the pastor kids. This is my passion because this is what my dissertation was about. And, um, but just again, this is a very interesting thing. Look at this. The great painter Vincent van Gogh, philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, psychologist Carl Gustav Jung, former presidential nominee George McGovern, rock stars Alice Cooper, actor Desmond Washington, terrorist Grudun Enslin, rebel without cause Franklin Graham, and former head of security Condoleezza Rice have one thing in common. They are all pastor kids. It says a lot about the leadership that we exercise over our children for good or bad. But our kids have the blessing to be born in a leader's home. So let's make the best time out of it because it's just so little. I have three more years with my older one and I'm already crying. And my, my, my younger one, I want to keep him there. So my, my, my younger one, he has this sense of humor, you know. And he tells my wife, she was like, Mom, we attended this, my friend's graduation, high school graduation. His mom was bawling. You know, Mom, I'm not going to make you cry for graduation. And she's like, oh, yeah, really? Why? Because I'm going to drop out of school. I'm like, don't you dare. <laughs> That's my little one. That's what I have to deal with. That's the generation. Anyways, in 2012, Lidiana Blake did a documentary. Unfortunately, it's in Spanish. Uh, if I find it in English, but I think uh, YouTube can translate it with a... Um, uh, so it, it captions, it says, a documentary that interviewed several PKs. They all shared their stories growing up. One of them described their experience by quoting from Psalms 23. She said, paraphrased, my dad is my shepherd. I shall want everything. He makes me sit down in the front pews. Uh, so just her reaction of just, the, I call it the behavioral science of just behave. I grew up, my father was a president, conference president when I was eight years old. He was a union secretary when I was 14, union president when I turned 15. And then he was in the Inter-American Division for 10 years. And I can tell, I cannot tell you all the people that he ministered, all the places that he traveled around the world. I can only remember in my teenage years the uh, Thursday evenings or Friday evenings that he took me and my next door neighbor to play soccer with him. And that made a huge difference. And I think that is where, that's why I am where I am right now. And I want to be that, even though he spent a lot of time away from home, and I promised the Lord that I wouldn't do that to my kids. Um, he, is, he made sure that the, the quality time that we had was good enough for me to remember for the rest of my life. Um, so, again, talking about the accident, you know, uh, you know this uh, about Peter. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And when he was beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So whenever we, f we face situations, whether at home or with church, our prayer should be, shouldn't be, Lord, save them or change them. Save me and change me. I need to be changed. 
Uh, and Jesus, you know, he's always available. So we continue. Sorry, I hope I didn't take too much time, but we're going to go in, into the where, how, and how often. Yes, that's right. And uh, thank you for sharing those statistics. I think it's so important for us to really pour into our families and also into the families that we are serving. So one of the first things we must do is to develop a plan <clears throat> to reach out. It shouldn't only be when there's a crisis situation or where someone is in a hospital. It should be uh, a plan that you develop where you set a goal of who you want to see and how often you want to do that. So within a certain time frame and working with your lay leadership in your church, it shouldn't be you. You can't do it all, right? Again, you want to have time to spend with your family, to, to have some time to yourself as well, following Jesus' example, right? So you want to work with your lay leadership um, to help you with this. Um, also, there, there are some that like to do this in different ways. They break down their whole congregation group into regions or demographics or age ranges. I work in my church. There's four pastors. And like I said before, I work with the children, the families. So whenever, <clears throat> and our church is fairly young. Most of the people that come I've in the youngish uh, realm of, of age. So um, I pretty much work with the families. I stay within that. Um, one of the pastors works with the, the teens. Another one works with the older folks, but there's not that many. The senior pastor will do some of those visits uh, for men. I'll do it for the women. Or, But I try to pour into families and children. And for us, because I said we're mostly a youngish um, congregation, when things happen at our church, they're pretty traumatic. We recently had a, a young teenage man, who, a young man who committed suicide. I mean, this is, this is the reality, right? And we have to be able to be available to minister to the, to the family. We had another one who, <clears throat> uh, he was going to play basketball with his friends and collapsed and died of a heart attack. His wife and two little kids. I mean, these are the kind of things that, that, that we have to be available for and be ready for, right? So for me, oftentimes, some of the things that I have to deal with are more of a crisis situation. But we do have things in such a way where we are serving at all the different levels and capacities. So I am going to mention some of the standard things that we do, you know, um, visiting the home. That doesn't happen as easily as it used to be. Some people just don't like you in their home. They think, you know, you're a little suspect. You know, why do you want to be in my home? What are you going to do? Try to be judgmental and all this stuff. But it doesn't have to be at the home. It could be at a coffee shop. It could be at a restaurant. It could be maybe you might stop by where they work if there's an opportunity for you to meet with them privately there. Or maybe you make yourself available. You let people know how to contact you in case of something where they can reach out to you and say, hey, I need to talk to you today. Is there any way that you can put me in your schedule or whatever? Um, hospitals are 
kind of your usual form of visitation, right? When you get that phone call and you have to go see somebody at a hospital. So, you know, be prepared. Uh, uh, try to get training. Try to get the things that you need to be prepared to deal with a crisis situation or even death. Some people don't know how to deal with that. So, um, if you want to get certified, um, there, there are ways that you can do that through the ACPE. These are uh, Association for Clinical Pastor Education. There's ways you can do that. You can also do CDAP. This is a, actually a training I just did and I just finished. That is the Congregational Depression Awareness Program. A lot of hospitals within your county are doing this because they realize that the first point of contact for people dealing with depression, anxiety, a lot of these emotional needs, it's in the church. They're gonna to go to the church. So they want to work with the pastors, the clergy. They invited us to come and do a pilot program that they're gonna start, at least within our county, that they're gonna start just get, uh, start doing it all across, across board in, in North America. They want to partner with congregations, the leaders, to help people who are so desperately dealing with, with, with all these situations. Yes, CDAP is Congregational Depression Awareness Program. And some hospitals are already doing this. And they're inviting the clergy within their counties to come and be part of that. Uh, another thing they do is the mental health first aid. Um, so important. They have it for adults, they have it for teens. CPR is not the only thing that saves lives. Most of the suicide rates that you hear about are people who are dealing with depression, anxiety, bullying. And these are things that people are willing to talk about if you reach out to them. So educate yourself. I wanted to mention, I have two books here that I brought. This one um, is called Seen. It just came out. Uh, Will Hutcherson and Chinue Williams, they did a, a research on teens, and they wrote this book, Easy Read, Buy It, is uh, Healing Despair and Anxiety in Kids and Teens Through the Power of Connection. Excellent book. They share some statistics, but also some good things that you can do to talk to the young people in your church. They're dealing with so much, you know? It's not what it used to be like, you know. Uh, churches and some of the challenges that people have right now are nothing compared to the way it used to be, right? We're dealing with things that are absolutely very different, all right? So we need to connect with them at their level. Also, Brenna Brown, you know who she is, right? She's like, uh, I, I would say, USA's therapist. But she works in Texas, she's a professor, and she just came out with this book, all about emotions, understanding emotions. If you're gonna to talk to people and help them, educate yourself. Try to find ways that you can learn about these. So in this book, she takes on 87 emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human. If you're going to talk to people and understand what they're about, learn about emotions. Learn about what people are. Sometimes people don't even know how to describe what they're going through. And it's important for you to know 
how to help them, right? And it doesn't mean that you have to be a certified counselor, but again, you are a point of contact, and then you can lead them to the help they need. We have also a connection in our church um, to counseling um, agencies or specific counselors that we refer people to. So get acquainted with the area where you are, your community. Well, if there is there an association of clergy that you can kind of commiserate with and try to connect. How, how can we work together? We have a community services association within our county as well. So we want the community to know we're there for them. We're not just Adventists to be Adventists. We, are, we want to people to know that we are there for them. So we get engaged with, we have many partnerships with people around our community to help the community know that we are there. So get out there and, and, and get acquainted with your community community so that you're able to help in the way that's needed. Um, of course, you know, you can you can meet in church, you, you deal with different difficult situations uh, from the get-go with people, but you you want to just think about how do I bond with this person? You're not there to resolve the problem. Most often you're gonna refer, right? But you want to connect with them, even if it's a counseling session, right? I, I usually tell people when I'm meeting with them and I know what they're gonna to talk to me about, I say, listen, I'm only, I can only go up to a certain level. After that, I'm gonna refer you, right? I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna get into stuff that I don't know anything about. I'm not the expert. So, but at least we are that conduit, that, that, that connection where someone can feel comfortable sharing something and then you can resource them, all right? Um, and of course, most of all is uh, understanding that these are confidential things, right? You're not gonna go gossiping about members of the community or whatever about things that you, you've, you've heard about. So many places you can go to, like I mentioned, um, the, you can even do a supermarket, the hair salon. You don't even know how many people you're gonna run into. Be ready, be prepared. Every opportunity is a visit. So you can even do affinity groups with hobbies, um, doing a, uh, attending sporting events or concerts. Cheer your people on, you know? We have a lot of kids who love sports and when they see you there, oh my goodness, I've been to many games our kids do, I'm like, I can't believe you're here. Yeah, and I was like, of course I'm here. I'm gonna cheer you on, man. So anyway, just, just enjoy their lives with them and they appreciate that so much because that gives you a, a point of contact that later on, if something was to be happening, who are they gonna call? They're gonna call you because they've already had had some kind of point of contact. There's lots of things, nature's hikes and all of those. You know all these things. But for the most part, we have to understand that all of these um, points that you are building is to get you, for people to understand that you are there, available to them, that you want to, for them to understand that there are opportunities for them to feel like you can just share with them. Um, celebrate milestones in, in these members' lives. 
birthdays. We have a, a Greg's brother, I, I love this, he always says everyone should feel special on their birthday. So sending my card or making a phone call or even anniversaries. You know how many families are struggling? Anniversaries are a big deal. You know, a couple who's been together 20 years, good for you, that's awesome. When you have so many families that are just falling apart, right? So celebrate the milestones with them. This is, again, ways to continue to connect with your people. Connecting in the community, just resourcing yourself. We have a whole list of, of people that we can call on when we, when we have a family that's struggling with something, I, like just recently, I had a lady that came to me. We just met her. She happened to walk into our church, never been there before. And she happened to share to, for our prayer lead, to our prayer leader that her eight-year-old had attempted suicide. You think about this. An eight-year-old. I had to get on that phone, you know, on the phone with her. I, once I got that, that number, I immediately got on the phone with her. I called her and I said, hey, just wanted to follow up. Our prayer leader told us about this. I, my heart just aches. What can I do for you? And got to talk to her, pray with her, and I referred her to someone, a friend that I know works with kids and teens. This is the way that you can offer help to people. So make sure you get out there and that you are resourcing. Um, you're finding ways to, to help people. Um, so it's not only about just visiting the home or, you know, thinking about the usual thing, the hospital and, the, and funerals, for funerals. You know, um, that's another opportunity that we have, right? And as I mentioned before, for us, in terms of things like this, it's usually a very traumatic crisis or something that happens, right, that you won't expect. We just had a, uh, just last week, we had a, um, a memorial service for a lady who was diagnosed with cancer. I had talked to her six weeks ago, then she had an aneurysm and she died. Just like that. Six weeks ago is just unbelievable. But you have the amazing opportunities that come before you, and you want to take advantage of those opportunities, not of the person, of course, of the opportunity to bond with them, to talk to them, to pray with them, so that they are able to turn their hearts to Jesus. That's, that's, that's the key. How, how, how can you bring that to them? And as far as uh, dealing with grief and things like that, we have to be, again, Educate yourselves. Be careful what you say to people. You know, it's not God's will that someone died. It is not God's will that someone died. <laughs> I, I lost a husband through cancer about almost 20 years ago. So I've remarried. <laughs> but um, yeah, I actually had somebody said that to me. You know, oh, well... It was God's will. I'm like, no, I reject that. I reject that. It was not God's will that any of us should perish, right? No, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is why it's so painful and why we have to connect with those emotions. It's painful, and while we're here on this earth, it's going to continue to be painful, and we're all going to be struggling. We're all going to be dealing with messy, messy stuff, but... 
we're here to help one another along the way. And for me, it's just such a great thing to have these opportunities to minister to families that go through these traumatic things because I've been through it. I've been on the other side of this. And I, I'm able to reach out to them. This young lady who lost her husband, I was able to be there in her home and just walk her through everything. I remember asking, why? Lord, why? You know, we all, all ask this question, Lord, why did this have to happen? It had to happen so I could learn, so I could grow, so I could also help others go through that journey, okay? So it's not about us or our stories. It's about them and focusing on their needs. So now I'm going to pass it on to <laughs> I hope I didn't take too much time either. So uh, troubleshooting visitation, actually, this is the two of us, right? Okay, so I do have a couple of points here. We have to understand that when we go and talk to someone, we want to practice good listening skills. Again, it's not about us. It's not our story. It's about them. So we want to listen to them. We want to be there on a neutral, use a neutral tone. Also, we want to be sensitive, sensitive to, to not everyone is Adventist in a family, right? I don't know about what your composition is in your congregations or anything like that, but at our church, when I go to someone's house, we, we have a lot of people who are seekers. They, they don't know anything. We have kids that come to Kiss Church who are biblically illiterate. I had a little girl who asked me, who is Jesus? I'm like, whoa, wait a second. She didn't even know that. I'm like, man, we, we got to do a lot of work. So anyway, we have to be sensitive to where people are, respect that, and then, you know, the, their religious backgrounds, their culture. We need to respect our privacy. Confidentiality is a great big thing. And again, as I mentioned before, make sure you have materials and resources. Resource yourself. Educate yourself so you can be the best, the best help to someone. Now, this is hardcore. I, I wish there was a, a, a class in the seminary that was, I'm going to teach you what nobody taught me. And I've learned the hard way in ministry. So I, I, this is a very delicate, uh, sensitive topic, but it, I think it's very important to mention. Um, one Sabbath morning, I don't know why it is, and another uh, advice. Some people just want to share with you the most intimate situations right before you're about to go to preach. <laughs> so you know what? I think that's a, that's a strategy that Satan uses to distract us. So, you know, I always say Satan attacks us on 3D. He tries to deceive us, distract us, and divide us. So what's the best place to deal with that? Depend. Depend on the Lord. And and um, this um, this lady comes, pastor crying and screaming. And I'm like, let's go to the office. And then I'm like, how can I help you? And she goes, I just found out that so-and-so that used to be in this church was my best friend. He abused of, of uh, he molested my 21-year-old my, my daughter when she was 10. This is right before I have to go to preach. How do you deal with that? And then she says, and I just found out that, the, the, to make the long story short, this was a serial situation. It's somebody that was very sick. 
usually they are very friendly at church with everybody. And kids, they, they, have, they, they have a magnet for kids. Kids love them. So um, this guy, you know, um, used to go with his families on vacation. And basically, he was the godfather of the kids that allegedly he allegedly uh, molested. And so she comes, I want to kill him. And I'm like, can you come here? You know, by the way, when you face somebody with a problem like that, don't ever tell him I'll pray for you. Pray with them right there, you know. And, and what I had to do at the time, listen, you are so important and special to me. And because you are so important and special to me, I want to give you my undivided attention. Can we stay after church and talk? Please do not leave. Don't, don't dismiss them, but at the same time, let them know that they are valuable to you, and, but that you have to do something there. So, you know, take that time. So afterwards, we talked. And again, if you don't know something or you, if you have doubts, do not be afraid of saying, I don't know. I will ask. Give me some time. What I had to do, because there was another pastor involved that knew the information, but in a way dismissed the situation. You can, these things that are, that has legal repercussion, especially with young kids, you have to report. So, and I, listen, it was very hard and personal to me because his mom was my grandma's best friend back in our country. It was a very tough situation. Now, what I did, thank God at the time, there was a police detective that was a member of my former church. So I called him. I'm like, listen, I just received this information. What do I do? He's like, send them to me. So I, I, I told her, listen, you, I'm going to refer you to one of my elders in another church. He will help you and, and, and guide you through the steps. Long story short, this guy was arrested a few months later attending on another church on a Sabbath morning. But then I get the phone call. So you're like, justice, yes. Yeah, but I don't know how the Lord does because, you know, God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. And then the Lord tells me, well, Freddie, you did justice, but now you got to learn grace. So then I get a phone call from his mom who had no clue. The lady was in his early 80s. And she's like, Pastor, you cannot believe. Look at what happened. My son is innocent. I don't know what they're accusing him of. And I was like, oh, Lord. I had to take her once a week to visit with him at jail, to pray with them, to be with her, to uh, counsel and, and just be there. Sometimes there is nothing that you can say, but your presence will make the difference. In pastoral visitation, I've learned that it is, you do not need to try to look interested, interesting, rather than trying to be interesting to other people, be interested in their lives. And that makes a difference in all levels, in all generations. So long story short, um, I get a phone call from his lawyer now telling me, listen, he's been offered a deal. He's rejected all deals. Talk to him because it's deal or life. And I'm like, oh, Lord. So I had to go to court again. You need to make sure that you get somebody. Call a lawyer from church. Can you come with me? So we make it to the court. 
the family of the and the children that were abused on one side, and then we come. What did I have to do? Talk to the victims. Listen, I am the pastor. I am in no side right now. We've been praying for you. Because they need to know, oh, no, the pastor is here for the guy. No. Don't victimize the victim. Yes. So I had to explain to them why I was there. Then the judge calls me. Are you the, where is the pastor? Come here. Somehow I felt that I was on trial. So I go there. She's like, pastor, come over here. She makes me go all the way next to her. And she goes, listen, pastor, I've never done this before. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but listen, just to save those little kids from the whole trial and whatever lawyers will do, I'm going to give you a chance to talk to that guy and tell him to take the deal now because there are at least three counts and every count is 20, uh, 25 years. He's not going to see a, another day of light if, if, if I find them guilty and believe me, I will. What do you do? Talk to the lawyer. Because legally, you cannot tell somebody, take the plea. As a pastor, you can't do that. So we went over there, we prayed, and I told him, listen, um, I'm just here to pray for you, that God will give you wisdom. Then the lawyer talked to him and explained the situation. We prayed. He took the deal. He's still serving. Um, but it was a very hard situation. But I'll never remember one of the times that I went and I visited with him in jail, and he said, pastor, you know what? After all of these years, I learned that I was completely lost. And I have found my freedom in Christ while being in prison. God has incredible ways of doing things. But we need to pray to the Lord that he will give us the wisdom of Solomon to deal with troubleshooting. Because not everything is easy. Earlier in my ministry situation, young uh, couple with issues. Then after prayer meeting at church... The lady comes to me. She was my age. I grew up with her sister, so it was their family, familiar connection. Just because it's family doesn't mean that it's okay. You have to be very careful. I learned the hard way. So she's like, Pastor, listen, we're having issues with my husband. Could you please come follow me? Come to my house and talk to him. So I follow her. We get to his house, but then I made a mistake. Again, I was 25 years old. What did I know? So uh, we get off the cars, but we stayed in the parking lot talking. And she was telling me all the situations. I should have, should have done that at church before I left. In one of the pews where everybody was around, but they weren't listening. So as we're talking, you know, and we're social distance before COVID. So we're just talking. And then he comes out of the house screaming, Oh, so this is the guy that you have been, this is the guy, no guy. I was really upset, you know. My, my uh, Latino character got the best of me, and I'm like, listen, you better come over here or else. And he's like, and, and so we had a conversation, but then I realized I was wrong. And I was able to guide him to counseling, but, you know, in visitation, the least common thing is common sense. please. When it has to do dealing with, with anybody nowadays, you need to have somebody else with you. Have an elder with you or have your spouse. Pastor, could you come and visit with me? Yeah, let me talk to my wife. And, you know, it's happened. Oh, no, it's okay. You know, we can talk to you. I'll talk to you at church. Okay, yes. Thank you, wife. Thank you, Lord, for my wife. We have to be very careful. 
very, very careful to avoid situations because the devil knows that if he takes us down, you know, once the character is affected, unfortunately, in the times in which we live, we have to be very, very careful. And I'm going to let you share another troubleshooting. I'm going to share one more thing. I think we should just give him time, and then if we have some time left. Yes. Okay. Actually, I'm going to move to him right now. Yes, absolutely. So just wanted to give you another quick little idea. I don't know if you're familiar with something called that you could do online called Meal Train, M-E-A-L, which is a way to also get your whole congregation or a group of people to help a family that may be going through a crisis. And it's so nice to work with these kind. And there's other kinds of apps and things that you can use. But just as an idea of something you can do uh, uh, digitally, which is going to get me to the other part, um, so that you can get a group of people to help bring in meals, organizing, coordinating all of that. Also, they can donate money, kind of like a GoFund. I like Meal Train because you can get everything in there. You can even do gift cards. So a family can have access to all of that. And there's no middle person in the way. It just happens. You set it up, and it's done. People sign up, and they, it happens just very quickly in a matter of within minutes. You can get it done in the same day, and you have a system going to help a family however long you decide to set it up as. But talking about that is also this um, movement, right, of the regular visitation that has changed into digital visitation. So I have my friend here, Sam Nevis, who I've discovered is doing, is working. He works at the communication department at the general conference, but he's currently working on his doctorate dissertation based on this. So I like us, I thought it was really excited what he had to share with me, and I thought it would be appropriate to share it right here with us today. Thanks, guys. Hi. I started ministry in 2005, 11 years in local churches in Europe, uh, in London more specifically. And I went to a technology conference back in 2009 or so, and there was a a pioneer. She was a pastor. Her name was Kirsten Lindquist. And she started to explore, that was the subject of her talk, visiting teenagers through instant messaging. Okay? And that was 2009. That's really pioneering work. And I sat like you did, and I was like, nope, not going to happen. You need to be present in the room. And I came to talk to her and said, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I was wrong. Uh... I realized I was wrong quite some time ago, but in the pandemic, I'm responsible for uh, the team that leads all the world church channels. So the official Facebook page of the church worldwide, Twitter and YouTube and all of them. And when the pandemic hit, we started really offering online pastoral care. The result, over the last two years, we've received over 2 million prayer requests on the official church Instagram and Facebook pages. And what we've done with that is that we hired full-time ministers, not pastors necessarily, although some of them are, but full-time ministers in the Philippines of all places uh, to respond to people within three minutes of interaction. So when you interact with the church channels, 
privately, so Facebook Messenger, Instagram DM, Twitter DM, and so on, you get a human within three minutes. That's the goal. You're talking to another human. Because it's not virtual. There is a human on one side, and there is another human on the other side. It's just computer-mediated communication, but it's still communication between humans. And the subject fascinated me a great deal because I needed about four years in a local church to build enough trust for people to come with the real issues in their lives, to self-disclose the real issues in their lives. This was happening within days in the internet world. Many of the people that contacted us, in fact, most of the people that contacted us were not Adventists. These two million prayer requests, they came from about 400 and something thousand individual relationships. And they were trusting the deepest secrets of their lives to a church that wasn't even their church. How is this possible? Things like the moment I decided to study this for my PhD is when this guy contacted us. He first said hi. That's all he said hi on a private conversation with the church channel. Hi, how are you? And then he would respond a day later and we would respond and we would back and forth. In three weeks, he said, I have AIDS, I don't know how to tell my dad. Can you help me? I needed at least four years in a local church to build enough trust for somebody to tell me that. So I was fascinated by this and started the PhD. And the data is very, very clear. People self-disclose more on instant messaging than on the telephone, than on Zoom, and in person. In person is the least. So... The day that God calls me back to be a local church pastor, and this is what we are encouraging all pastors now, because post-pandemic, you're a digital pastor whether you like it or not. The world has changed. Start your day with 15 interactions. Have a list of your members. If you have WhatsApp, use it. If you have just SMS, use that. But it has to be instant messaging. Email doesn't work. It has to be instant messaging. And just start by saying, I am going to pray for you in an hour what should I pray for? And that's the best way to start a conversation. They're going to start sharing, and you'll have 15 of those messages going back, 15 of those conversations going back and forth. That would take you about two hours. But if you have three congregations of 200 members, it means that every month you talk to them individually. For teenagers, it's good to have written permission from the parents to text the teenagers. So just a couple of nuances we have found. Right. So written permission from the parents to talk to their teenagers over text message. And we haven't heard of any pastor who did not get permission from the parents. Even secular parents are happy for that to happen. Most of them monitor the conversations anyway. So this is just a, a little insight into the new world. And it means that we can have more meaningful connections to other people. Last thing that I'll mention in our conversation, we talked this morning pastor, was we have used Facebook and Instagram ads to target, to focus on, to target non-Adventists within five miles of local churches. The result has been incredible. All we do is offer prayer from the official profile of the Adventist church. It could be your local church. You have an ad that says, we can pray for you. Let us know on Messenger what to pray for. That's it. 
They click the DM, they click the messenger button, and they send a prayer request. Globally, we are building relationships for less than one cent of a dollar. In the U.S., it varies between 20 cents and $3. Manhattan, for example, is the most expensive ad space in the world. That's about $3. But think about it. With 30 bucks, you have 10 relationships with people that are right next to your church. It doesn't get better than this. So if you find one of these geeks in your church that can help you set up the Facebook ads, you can be providing pastoral care not only to your church members, but to the people in the community. First time we tried this in a local church was in New Zealand. They set aside $500 for this. Turns out with $250, they had to stop the campaign because they had too many relationships the local church could not handle. They had 54 people that are coming to meetings and prayer meetings and interacting with the church. And it could happen for you. And it's so simple. We spend a lot more money on evangelism and we don't build those relationships. So just offer prayer. Prayer leads to Bible study. Bible study leads to baptism. And baptism leads to mission engagement. So if you can involve your members to do the praying on the other side, that's really important. And the people that we chose to do the prayer in the Philippines, they were mostly elderly. You know the, the godly men and women of our churches? You look on their knees and they have a callus on top of their knees. I told them, don't look for phones. Look for callus on their knees. That, those are the people we need. And largely, we always talk about young people, young people, young people. No, no, no. This is their turn. If they could have a list of people from your own community that, that you can pray with, we have found this to be incredibly useful in churches worldwide. So visitation, there is a digital realm to it. And it's just the beginning of this new thing. And I think it will develop and it will turn into something beautiful. Amen. Yes. Thank you so much. I just, I just feel so excited about that because oftentimes when we think of visitation, we think about this old thing. And it's not. It's been developing and it's getting even better and faster. Right? So I do appreciate what to see and hear what's coming and looking forward to, to all of these new developments. Okay, real quick. This is amazing because you just finished with prayer. And uh, as I told you, one of the important things that will give us balance in life, have a hobby. It doesn't matter how old you are or, or, or if you're in shape or not. We all have something that we like to do. You like to cook or if you just like to eat, connect with people that like to eat like you. I love to eat, you know, and I love to exercise. So my passion is cycling and um, I joined these groups, Team Sindacato in Miami when I was pastoring there. And um, we were planning a race, uh, Pastor Richard, in Dahlonega, Georgia. It's about 40 minutes north of Atlanta. Yes, planning to go in September again. So uh, we trained for this race, and most of these people, non-Christians. And so the day of the race was a Sunday morning, but we have to be there on Saturday afternoon. So I made it on Saturday afternoon. They were all in an Italian restaurant. So I get to the restaurant. They all about, they're all about to eat, and as I'm sitting with them, the Lord puts in my heart, pray for the food, bless the food. So I was like, okay, Lord, thank you, Lord. For, you know how we, thank you for the, no, pray all loud. And I'm like, oh, Lord. So I look at, at the older person in the table 
who was the most experienced cyclist, who had the respect of all of them. And I said, David, do you think that I can have a blessing for the food? And he goes, oh, guys, yeah, by the way, you know, Freddie is a priest. So bless, bless us, Father. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I have kids. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, so then, <laughs> so then he goes, he goes, uh, yeah, everybody, please, we're going to pray, uh, Father, please pray for us. So I prayed for them. Daniela, the one with the, uh, with the red uh, bandana, uh, was seated on my right-hand side. Uh, and once, you know, once you obey God, it's easier to obey him again. So on Sunday morning, right before the race, 2,500 cyclists there. Um, she was now on my left and the Lord again. So I had a prayer for protection. Again, I'm summarizing the story. We did the race. It's 104 miles in one day, six mountains. On mountain number four, mile marker 64, Daniela fell down at 44 miles per hour. When we finished the race, I get the news from her best friend, Nan, who was second to the left. And then, uh, yes, and Nan says, Freddie, I need to talk to you, and, and this is a Tuesday. Again, I'm, I'm like, Lord, why did you have me pray for protection? Look at what happened. Uh, now you're going to say, you know, Freddie's prayers don't work. And then the Lord, guess what, Freddie, it's not about you. Sorry, Lord. So Nan calls me, and she says, Freddie, I want to talk to you because I was the last person to talk to Daniela. And before we went down, she told me, Nan, nobody had ever prayed for me in my life. That day she was turning 40. And she said, but when Freddie was praying, God talked to me and told me that he has a very special plan for me. And I can't wait to fulfill his plan for my life. So... Next Saturday, they called me. They had about 800 cyclists in Miami that they wanted to do a ride and pray for her. They called me again. I, I went. We prayed together. And uh, the following Monday, we received the news that Daniela passed. So imagine, I felt, I was very mad at God. But then, again, every, like, like Merlin said, every, every visit is an opportunity. I offered the family to do a memorial ser service in my church. They all came. George, the third to the, on the left-hand side, um, used to be Adventist. He comes to church that day, and he said, as we are doing the service, he said, Freddie, I got to talk to you. I'm like, yeah. Do you know that I used to be an Adventist? I'm like, what? And he goes, Freddie, I never talked to Daniel about Jesus. And I'm so glad you did. When in the memorial service, her cousin uh, sent, gives me a letter. It was from the Donor Organ Society. Daniela was able to donate eight of her vital organs. Her heart went to a six-year-old boy that literally had hours to live. God did answer the prayer just in a different way. I can't wait to get to heaven to hear what Daniela has to tell me. You know what the most amazing thing was? I was doing a youth camp at Cojara Springs, <laughs> Pastor Richard sharing the, the story. 
And, I, and then I see a young lady bawling, crying and crying. And then, I, of course, you know, I'm a crybaby. My, my, my kids call me Jeremiah. And, and uh, as, as uh, Pastor Jeremiah, so as, as we finished, I'm like, the Lord touched you. And she, and she was like, Pastor, the Lord answered my prayers. And I'm like, why? I was Daniela's nurse. I was like, what? Her family didn't speak English, so I was the official translator between her and her family. It broke my heart. I didn't know that she had donated her organs. God works in amazing ways. Use, this is in Georgia. She lives in the Chattanooga area because she was airlifted to the Chattanooga Hospital. Um, all I got to tell you, we have so many stories that we would love to share, but just be a shepherd. Remember, Jesus called us to feed our lamb, tend our sheep, and feed our sheep.